Ladies and gentlemen, from the palatial studio D at Microsoft in Redmond, Washington, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we're here for episode 30 of AB Testing. The big 3-0. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Being a big 3-0, I'm going to be the big 5-0 like in two weeks. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for a midlife crisis. I did that uh, 10 years ago. Grew my hair out long. You were 50 10 years ago? That's about right. No. You're, you're uh, predicting midlife is 50 for you? Oh, no. I'm, I'm over the hill. So, <laughs> oh, I got edit coming. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode, we have our little a list up, and it's all about, this episode is called Stuff Alan and Brent Did. <laughs> yeah. It's all about ketchup, too. Like, the, the number one item on the list God, what was that? The end of September? We haven't recorded. We did the live episode, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but we haven't recorded uh, a studio session. <laughs> in a while. In, uh, it's been a while. Uh, life happens, and um, we apologize. But you know what? Uh, I talked to somebody. I'm going to jump ahead here. I talked to someone in Europe. There are a lot of one of the three in Europe. Just, just saying. I met, I met like seven of them. Yeah, uh, similar experience. Um, we have a lot of folks but, now claiming but, to be one of the. Th- yeah, I think and it's fantastic. I, I, no, it, there really are only three. They just trade off. But uh, it was funny. Someone told me that they like our podcast, but they can't listen to it while they do anything else. Uh, I thought they were going to say because you guys are so idiotic and stupid and unpredictable, but it turns out it's just because we talk fast and English is their second language. So they have to stop and actually listen. Oh, that's my anecdote there. So back that in makes se- sense, I was going to assume it was ADHD, so they have to sit yeah. down and take yeah. notes. Oh, <laughs> we should do yeah. <laughs> that's the subtitle: ADHD testing, the Brent and Helen show. <laughs> hey, uh, you went to in the end of September a conference uh, called Strata. I did. Uh, it was and on to the next subject. Oh, sorry, tell us a little bit about the, Strata. The, the two coolest things was. Uh, went to Strata. Uh, first and foremost, it was my first trip to New York. Um, second, Strata was extremely interesting uh, from the perspective of seeing how the rest of the world is viewing uh, the data science problem versus, say, Microsoft. And then lastly, uh, had uh, dinner and drinks with one of the three. Uh, which three? Uh, Percy. Percy three. Actually, it's one of my favorite one of the threes because he's the one that kicked started the one of the three hashtag. Did he? I thought I did he do that? He did it. He's awesome. <laughs> he is winner. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know what's interesting there. I don't know. So you saw what the rest of the industry is doing. What is the rest of the industry doing? Is it? Is it? Are they just doing math on abacus, or are they actually doing cool stuff? Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I walked away with. Uh, first and foremost, um, Microsoft today, uh, in a lot of our internal problems, we're still under transition right? to this as we, we gear up and train more people on the data science world. It seems the type of problems that we're trying to solve today, the rest of the world solved two to three years ago. You know, that's, you know, it's a parallel there. There was a time uh, in software testing back when it was uh, much more relevant when the problems that the industry was trying to solve were problems that Microsoft had solved a few years ago. But so I, that parallel happens, and it's good for us to notice, us as an industry and us as Microsoft, yeah. to see when to 
one one cool thing is you see happening a little more now than happened you know, 10 years ago, is people actually look outside the walls of the Borg and see what's going on in the world. They notice these things. It's If I understood what you said previously, that, that there was a period <laughs> in time... difficult. Which that, that there was a period of time when, on the test front, Microsoft was ahead of the rest of the world. I believe so, yes. I You kind of saw, saw them follow. I agree with for, that. For better or for worse. Uh, I also think, uh, like a lot of other companies have followed Microsoft's review model. Um, uh, Amazon still uses our review model that you and I suffered under 20 years ago. Um, but I actually wonder if there's a correlation there, right? Because we were busily, heavily investing and in, in leading the world in terms of how test is done. And the rest of the world moved into the frame of, hey, we don't need test. And they invested sooner and earlier than we do into the data science world. I, I think we were slower to – it's not even just the, even the science part. We, in many cases, we were slower to realize the power of, of measuring customer data and telemetry in general and all that. Yeah. We kept so, investing so using in – Using monitoring as testing versus trying to test everything into it from the, before it went live. Yes. I get it. Yeah. So cool, you met Percy, you learned about some big data. Biggest takeaway? Uh, big data, as it gets bigger and bigger, um, you need to work towards massively parallelizing uh, how you grok the data. And the biggest takeaway, the biggest aha for me, is that in that world, um, polynomial time is absolutely too slow. N squared is way too slow. And it's even getting to the point where O of N is too slow. So, so, so we need faster, more effective ways to parse massive amounts of data. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very fascinating. This is where we've talked about it before. When, when things, when what you know can't scale to your needs, this is where new ideas start to form. So I'm going to be, it's going to be really exciting to watch what, what comes out of this space over the next couple of years. Yeah, it is interesting. I was worried at the beginning because it sounded like you're going like tautology mode only. Like you're going to say, as big data gets bigger, it's bigger. I'm going to try to avoid pure tautology okay. today. All right. So or you, not. So you got to go to New York. So uh, any, did you do anything New York-y while you were there? Yeah. Um, Went to this great uh, uh, Brazilian uh, How restaurant. Many? How many? What? A, a Brazil? Oh, oh, I thought you said a Brazilian. Okay, no Brazilian, Brazilian restaurant. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, you realize Brazil is not in New York. I know. Okay, just checking. Yeah, uh, we went to Sal's Pizzeria, and we oh. also went to one of the hole in the wall pizzeria places. Sal's was sort of, hey, it's a famous place. We got to go. Okay, hole in the wall pizzeria. Way better, yeah, way better. I think the Sal's pizza I could get here. I was not impressed. Um, There's nothing like a slice in New York City late at night after about seventeen beer, uh, um, three, two beer, one beer. Uh, sufficient beer. Sufficient beer. Yeah. Um, All right. Cool. And then Times Square. That was an experience. So my hotel room was literally right over Times Square. Um, it was. Fantastic that the blackout curtains actually did. Yeah, I think I have to do that there. <laughs> cool. All right. So then, that. Um, 
In between there, we went and recorded the live show at Redfin, which you heard in episode 29. Hopefully. At least three uh, of you did. At least three – well, the three heard it. Uh, interesting to marry a live show with the A-B testing style. Um, it was fun. We got a chance to babble on a lot of things people had heard before. Uh, little interaction. In most cases, we remembered to repeat the audience question. And in some cases, you had to infer the question from our answers. But uh, all in all, an interesting take. And we should, we should do that again sometime. We'll think about the format of that so we get that – find the right marriage there. Yeah, I don't think – based on the, the feedback – See, I don't – here's the deal. Alan doesn't read the feedback. That's why I do. I one flying – you know what – about feedback, um, Brent. However, so is can you explain to me again how feedback? Just as a as a complete and total hypothetical aside, yeah. uh, can I, I'm forgetting it. Can you explain how learning organizations work again? <laughs> uh, anyway, the. Yeah, we do need to tweak the format. So, what you guys, what you guys don't know, so we we had the audio. I wonder if it's worthwhile to release the video. Uh, no. If if two of you, Brent, there's if, there's a reason we're on a podcast. That yeah, good point. We don't, yeah, people don't. We're gonna, we're they, gonna they, they don't need to see that. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll go down to two listeners, and they're both blind. If we uh, decide to show our faces. What we did to, for the presentation is we decided to do it as as we as you saw podcast style. Uh, we told them up front uh, we had what a hundred plus people in the room, and we didn't we didn't bring a slide deck. Yeah, I, which I think is fine. I think if there was one thing I would do differently, I would take your little sheet of notes and crumple it up and throw it away before we started. Yeah, you said that in the podcast. <laughs> And I'm still denying that. It was in the way, man. It was yeah. in the way. From my experience, it was in the way. No, I but think – so that one – The great news is, is we got the first ever li- – our first ever live album. For something like that, A-B I'm going to need the outline. Live without a net. I'm going to need the outline or else I'm just going to get and in the And in hindsight also, I think for this format, reel in the topics like way more high level and then stop earlier for questions. I think the most – where, so I don't look at feedback because I, I observe the audience, look for engagement, and it was Q&A where you start to get the engagement. Yeah, I think better last time. So we spent uh, – I was roughly – when I re-listened to it, I was roughly counting how much time we spent talking about our prior experience. Um, I think when you go into that – Setting up an expectation of credibility is important, but I think we spent too much time on that. I agree with you that if we had just gone through very quickly a breadth of topics and just a little bit of depth and then open up the questions, uh, making it very clear, hey, we can go wherever you guys think is most valuable, let's start, made it much more interactive. I think that would have been a better presentation. Have we done a podcast since I did the talk at – GoDaddy? Yes. Okay. Because that was um, – they wanted me to give a sh- like a half-hour presentation, so I prepared a couple quick slides on uh, testing a single-page web application, which I happen to be doing. Uh, and just – I just – all it was was uh, – sorry if this is a repeat, but I just made some – basically I started with the bullet points of like five or six or seven 
the things that I thought I had learned that were most important. I talked about them a little bit and kind of how our team was doing it and then we had questions. That For a quick little half-hour talk, that worked well. Um, and also it's because something like that you could go super deep on and go forever. Uh, but I find that even when I do conference talks, uh, I value the Q&A more than – you can't really do a Q&A on a keynote. But I, if, I have to, if I do a track session or even a workshop, I really try and make it interactive. Uh, in fact, once I gave a – many, many, many years ago, I, I gave a keynote at Star and uh, Lee asked me to give a track session. And um, Whitaker, our, our buddy, the infamous, the uh, world famous uh, James Whitaker was there. I'm a good friend with James, but I don't want him to come to my talk. But we finished my, I, I finished my thing and he goes – he comes to me and goes, I can't use the exact words he used because they're not PG appropriate. But he goes um, something like, holy Alan – you didn't do anything. You made your audience give the whole talk for you. There's, I, a, there's a quote I used in my – to segue into – I went to Eurostar a few weeks ago and there's a quote I pull out into a presentation once in a while. But usually when I'm talking about some you know, bit of innovation, innovation maybe even a stretch, something – some new idea. Talk about the Heinlein quote, which I will uh, badly paraphrase as I usually do. But you know, the future is paved by – lazy people trying to find an easier way of doing things. And that's what I do. I said, I don't want to give a whole talk. I don't want to. Who wants to listen to a talking head for an hour? Those people did. They paid to come and do exactly that. I know. I don't. And I, I'll talk about Eurostar a little bit. But I, as an audi- both as an audience member and as a speaker, I think it's just much more value when you're doing a track session with 30, 40, 50 people to make it interactive versus – have them listen to you read bullet points. Oh, did you? Um, which yeah. I, I had a I had a nightmare at Star. I had this like really vivid. It was like it wasn't quite all the way a sleep dream, but it's kind of laying in bed, and I visualized like the worst presentation ever. And I wrote it up. I wrote it up. It's, it's basically every bad thing I've seen, like uh, uh, people reading bullet points and turning their back to the audience and slides with slides. nothing but text. It's all eight yeah, point yeah, font. I just I thought, oh, a pain. <laughs> And they never stop talking. They never get to a point you walk out and go, damn it, damn it. Oh, it's awful. Uh, so I like that. And there, um, I saw one cool talk. It, was, it maybe went a little bit too far. I won't throw out any names because I'm being critical. But maybe went a little bit too far on the audience participation. Could have been a little bit more roll-up in it, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I like engagement, and the audience was engaged. So even though I would have liked to have seen a little bit more wrap-up, a little bit more facilitation around the audience discussion during this talk, uh, I think the audience still got a lot out of it. So I can't really complain. Uh, from my perspective, I would have liked, you know, and I, I'm super hypercritical on on talks. And there were plenty, there were some really good ones and plenty of, like, come on, stop. And uh, am I up on a soapbox again? You are. When you go to these conferences, <laughs> often, too often, it's a consultant trying to drum up business versus a practitioner trying to share knowledge with the community. Oh, so at Strata, that one thing that was interesting is that they, they separated those conferences. They were different tracks. And oh, they, they had the consultants all in one session, all in one track? One track. Oh, Lee Copeland, if you're listening – all consultants get their own. Unfortunately, for SAR conferences, I think that means that there's like one small track for non-consultants. <laughs> I could be wrong. I, my, my demographics may be wrong, so I'll be quiet. Um, but so I went to 
those tracks a couple of times. And those are the ones where I left after 15 minutes. It was you, – you pick up very quickly. I am not going to learn anything here except for this guy's particular tool and yeah. what it costs. And often I think – and not to pick on – you know, it's really easy to dump every single consultant into one bucket. But in my experience, I can qualify this. I'll weasel word my way out of this. In my experience, the vast majority of consultants, speaking about software testing at least, is uh, a lack of practical and recent knowledge or it's, it's just – I just can't find it relevant. I think the problem – so several of these companies also had their engineers come and do presentations. I had a great yeah, long chat with the the engineering team from eBay. Um, and it ended up – those type of things I really adored. It ended up being kind of like a, a, a in-person stack exchange uh, conversation. They asked questions of me. I asked questions of them. Oh. We both learned together. But the people who are presenting this consultant stuff – I think they're bringing in their marketing team. I'm <laughs> like, you know, if you bring in – do the same presentation but have it presented by one of your low-level engineers, it'd be a much better presentation for that audience. It kind of comes back to whether you're you – know, I'm a big fan of storytelling in, uh, in general and in talks. And often if you don't have that practical experience, you don't have the story that helps drive the point home. And if you're telling a story, it's – Sometimes irrelevant, uh, but I think really those anecdotes about how Concept X was used and what it did and what you learned are super valuable. So, so I, no, no, we're not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. We are doing a patented A/B testing tangent. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to wind back, and I think we can Wait, close I, out. I, I was going to fine. Then I'll do my tangent. Okay. As usual, Brent gets to finish. One of the things that was also different was our rhythm. I don't think our, our our you're in my rhythm when we do the podcast. It wasn't clicking uh at Redfin. And I think one of the reasons just looking at you right now, right? We're we're looking at talking in the microphone, we're reading each other's body language and we can kinda tell whereas and there you, and you were reading that stupid piece of paper in front of you. I was tr- that, that thing is my memory. <laughs> now um I think you're right though that if we had if we had just briefly, I, I think next time, right, that sheet has to be no more than five items, something that I can memorize and, and kind of memorize the flow so that I don't go off topic, topic and start talking about individual GUID generation and algorithms. The color of your underoos. That was really embarrassing. I cut that out. That was edited out. Uh, it's blue, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Superman. Um the, but that's something I think uh, from, from – so I did read the feedback, and I do think that that awkwardness of, of our rhythm right. got picked up by the audience. So let me talk about – before we get to – I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience at Eurostar, but I've been thinking for a while. I want – I go to all these conferences, and I watch talks, and I see different styles of talks, and I want – I need to run a conference. Because, oh, uh, no, no, let me finish. Brent, <laughs> put your sock back in your mouth and let me finish. I'm shutting up. Because I want, like, I think hour-long talks are awful. I want 30-minute talks. 
Maybe it's 20-minute talk with 10 minutes of questions. I don't know what, how it works. I'm working out the details. I think I, I just – there's very few 50 to 60-minute talks that I've enjoyed. Uh, if they're interactive, you can, go, you can go that long or longer. But just a talking head for that long is just 90% of the time, in my experience, a total waste of time. There are logistics around that. You've done that before. They are. And, they are. It, and so, it went well. But let me go on. Another thing, I'm, I'm going to marry some ideas that have been bouncing in my head right here at 8.35 in the morning on A-B testing. I've also thought uh, some of my favorite conferences have been peer conferences where there's just a dozen of us, 15 of us, in a, in a, you know, hanging out for a couple days or a day talking about stuff, seeing where the conversation goes. Imagine – a-B testing with more people and smarter people and Brent and Alan shut up and listen. There's potential there. I went to one for Telerik that uh, Jim Holmes hosted a few years ago. It was just a great experience. I did the uh, Chris McMahon writing about testing peer conference. Fun, good camaraderie, great ideas, some good learning out of that. And But organizing, hosting, travel, stuff I could do, but I don't know. So what I've been thinking of doing for a while. And I don't have a timeline for this, and maybe we can get one or two of the three to join in, uh, is a virtual conference, a virtual peer conference. We pick some topics, get invite 10, 15, 20 people. Uh, everybody has a topic they're going to talk about for anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. There's some time for question and answering, interactive. It wouldn't be like an eight-hour-a-day thing. You do it for like – we're going to do it for uh, a couple hours over a couple of days. I don't know how quite it works yet, uh, but bounce around in my head. I don't have the details figured out, but I'm throwing it out here to the masses for feedback and thoughts and planting the seeds. And, and maybe uh, what would be awesome if it happened if somebody else just took, the, took it by the, the reins and made it happen and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so I went to Eurostar in Maastricht. Uh, Where? In the Netherlands. Okay. So if you uh, – those of you that haven't memorized the European map, there's a little spit of land at the bottom of the Netherlands that goes kind of squirts itself in between in between Belgium and Germany. And there is a town there called Maastricht. And that's where Eurostar was this year. And I went there. Uh, flew into uh, Amsterdam, took a train about two and a half hours, get there. Um, I walk in. I go – I get to my room, put my stuff down, hang up some things that are wrinkled. I, I'm beat. It's been like you know 20 hours of travel at this point. I walk downstairs. I'm going to get like a something to eat and go to bed and I see a uh, great guy I haven't seen since the last year I went to three years ago. But great guy, Alan Richardson. He's Alan number two. I'm Alan number one. We were labeled during one of the keynotes. Uh, he's a, a frequent speaker – but he's Scottish. Scottish? He's Scottish. Uh, so he's a, he's a fun guy. I like talking to him. I uh, met a lot of people who were one of the three. Um, saw some good talks. I, I got it on Tuesday night. Uh, Wednesday night, we had a dinner in a cave. That was cool. What, what with, do they serve in caves? Uh, Mushrooms? I don't. The dinner was You don't was know good. you were there. It was good, not great. There was some... Um, uh, some food I don't eat. Um, I kind of – I mostly drank the wine. Didn't eat much of the food. Uh, at a fun table, James Lindsay was at our table and he won the – whatever the 
European Tester of the Year award is or something. That was fun. Uh, next night, however, uh, was a dinner just for the, the speakers from the – I was only there to speak on Friday at this deep dive on mobile testing. And we ate in – there's this restaurant that's made in an old church. So just beautiful. And the food there was just fantastic. Oh, so good. Um, and then I we came back. And believe it or not, um, usually when I go out to these dinners, I worry that I'm going to come home like full and plastered and not sleep. And uh, But it was nice. Came home um, uh, fairly sober, not too full, and got a good night of sleep and got up and gave my talk the next morning. What's the best European country for an aquatarian to eat in? Um, I know it's not Germany. I can get around anywhere. In Germany, you just have to eat cheese. You can get around anywhere, I think. So I gave the talk. How'd it go? I think it went well. What was uh, the theme of Eurostar this year? Uh, the, remember, I just was there for the mobile deep dive. So it was the, the theme was mobile testing. So I talked about application compatibility. I talked about it from the angle of uh, the thing I worked on to make Android apps run on Windows. And talked about how we got data and really turned it into the importance of using data and telemetry. Uh, and that really stuck home. And there was actually – I was thought I'd scare people with that, but there were some other talks touched on that as well. Um, Julian Hardy went deep into data analysis, et cetera. Mm. So it really kind of helped. You know, it's tough being first. It's fun being first. It's tough being first. But what I like to do when I give a talk at a conference is I'll tie in like previous talks. So I feel like I set up my peers very well to uh, tie in their subjects. So there was that. Um, next morning I took off. I had like a two and a half hour train trip to Amsterdam. Uh, I got at the airport earlier than I've ever been to the airport, like three hours early. But there were such long lines that I still barely made my flight. Um, it was ridiculous. So then I get to – our plane ran out of gas. That ever happened? Um, Say so we're running a little on fuel. We're going to need to stop a little early and top her off. So we stopped in <laughs> Albany, New York and uh, got some extra fuel, get to Philadelphia in time for me to miss all my connecting flights home. Spent the night in Philadelphia, flew back the next day. Um, and that was pretty much it. I was home for a week and then I went to uh, – this. I went down to visit Riot Games who make a League of Legends. Hey, before you start talking about Riot. All right. Well, um, you have Eurostar questions? I do. Do you want to, you want to know where Netherlands are? You, the geography lesson? You, 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 you just did that. This is actually the first time I think I've heard you say that there was sort of a, a deep dive on data analysis, which I think is promising that, that the rest of the test community is beginning to get with the modern times. What... Based on what you observed at Eurostar, what sort of things are still active in the test community that shouldn't be? And where do you see the test community moving? I think there's still a lot of people living in the test last world where testing is this thing that happens after the development team is done with the product. Uh, that's unfortunate. That's, uh, it's unfortunate for us. It's, for, it's fortunate for the consultants because that's where they make a lot of their money. So that part is inefficient, but for many companies, they just it's it's good enough. There are most companies doing any sort of web service or web page, anything anything in the cloud, have figured out that data, that gathering data and analyzing it and you know turning it sideways is the right thing to do. Are you there, seeing that as well as test first starting to be highlighted at these conferences? No, I'm seeing more and more sort of. Agile-ish 
integration of okay. the tester slash quality person into the development team. But it's – and again, I don't know what the right direction is, uh, but more – most often the tester in these agile teams is just doing all the testing tasks versus coaching develop and helping developers on how to write better tests in the first place. So it's these like, conferences are, are helping to teach and optimize you know, for the I, world no, that people shouldn't be in? Is that what you're no, saying? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying okay. people are sharing their experiences on what they're doing. And this is in a vague summary what they're doing. I think people are figuring out how to ship software faster, and they're trying different things to see what sticks. Okay. And, th- and that's for the practitioners. For um, what I see from a lot of consultants is there's a separation between development and testing. If you look at this, I forget, is this ISO 2119? I might get the number wrong, but this, there was a big hullabaloo last year about this, uh, the new ISO software testing standard. And is that I, the thing you quizzed me on a few episodes? No, that was ago? the ISTQB thing. Okay. The thing about this testing standard is that it fundamentally, from the very beginning, assumes that testing is a completely different task from software development. So there's just it just doesn't work in my world, and probably for the world of a lot of people, it just assumes that testing is this thing that's done after development is complete. And that's just not a world that I don't. I do know and I I realize and acknowledge that there's a chunk of the world that lives there and that's fine but that's not the way I ever ever want to make software. There there's a role for say final validation, final quality assurance, uh, right? There's there's a lot of people throughout manufacturing, yeah. throughout software that have the the but QA title. But it can't all happen then. No, and it and it the amount of work there really should be what at most one percent of total time spent on the product i'm making up numbers of course but it should be much smaller than it it is true that 43.7 percent of all statistics are made up i heard it was uh it's rising oh wow yeah interesting all right so you traveled for 40 hours it took me a long time to get home. Maybe I, close I, to I, 50 hours I came home to do an hour presentation. Pretty and then much. you came back, uh, and plus a bunch of free food in Europe. Um, then you came back and went to Riot. I did. I was invited down to visit Riot, who – and I don't know if you've played League of Legends. No. Uh, I've played a little bit, and I've played it like 10 times since I've been there because it's – and I'll tell you why in a minute. It is crazy. I'm sure at least one of the three have played League of Legends. I got to go on a tour of their facility. I don't know how much of this is top secret or anything, but I'll take my chances. Uh, I had met them, uh, a couple of people down there a while back, and I just wanted to kind of check the place out because it's um, it's the most popular game in the world, I think. they have They have world championships where they can fill a soccer stadium full of people watching people play this video game. It is just crazy. They have their own arena. Trying to figure out what rock I've lived under. I've never even heard of this game. <laughs> You're not helping the cause here, man. Yeah. So they have their own arena across the street. Uh, their place is built on uh, – their, their new place is they got from Fox Studios. So it's on the set of the old 24. So like Jack Bauer's old office is still there. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's, it's so looking rocking. at images, is it's, a, it's basically a World of Warcraft competitor then? Uh. Ish, but not really. Uh, 
I don't want to go all the way into explaining it. You can check it out, but uh, it's really well thought out and uh, I think just done really well. And they're, I love their um, business model where they don't have ads. You can't pay to make your – to increase your ability of winning. Like you can't like buy a bunch – like you can't – money won't make you win the game. Only skill will. But – uh, you can buy – people – they make their money. People buy skins and and things for – or, or they'll, there's a rotating list of champions you can choose from. If you want to have one always available, you can buy that one. Mm. Um, but And they make good money doing that and they're massively popular. It is just crazy how wild the world is for this thing. And uh, I was asking about monitoring and – the cool thing was I asked them all my typical questions. Like I, I was looking for like, what's something they haven't thought of yet? And they're pretty much, you know, they didn't, I couldn't really surprise them with anything. I'm talking about monitoring a little bit. They go, Oh, come check this out. And I see this, like this room looks like NASA where their <laughs> operations team works. It's like showing like stuff. All It's really cool. I don't want to give, I don't want to give away any secrets or anything, but it was, uh, I was impressed with the facility. I probably already violated my NDA, but I think I'm, I think I'm probably in, at least in the gray. Uh, I'll be vague, but very recently, have you, have you visited one of our data centers? Have you done that trip? I've done the Quincy data center trip, yeah. Um, uh, just did something similar. And yeah, I totally understand like the, the NASA monitoring. Yeah, it's really cool. Right? I, I was impressed. A whole good. room yeah. just to monitor electricity. Yeah, they took me out to dinner, met, met some cool people there. It was it was a fun trip. It was worth it uh, to uh, to go meet those folks down there and get an idea what their place looked like. It's pretty cool. Were you there to give a talk or or uh, field trip? Man, mostly sort of a field trip. Okay, just meeting some people to quick take a Monday off, quick quick trip to L.A. to and it was cold in L.A. It was a bummer. It was windy. Cold in L.A. is what seventy? No, it was like in, maybe maybe less than sixty. Ah, that, all right. That's uh, spring here. Uh, all right. Do we, we don't have anything from the mailbag, do we? Uh, we had something from Percy, but uh, we didn't write it down, right? So I want to ask. Nah, it's not, okay. So uh, we'll do an episode of Stupid People at Microsoft. Um, I got two to cover. One is Brent. You have a big truck, right? I do a big red truck. All right. So we call it Clifford. Clifford right. the Big Red Truck. That's fantastic. I have a so five-year-old So what I don't understand daughter. is people with these uh, – here's my, my, my wonderment. Uh, people with these $100,000 SUVs – your truck isn't that much, but no. these massive – you know, they're like – guys, four-wheel drive, which is made for going off-road, yet they slow to like one one-hundredth of a mile an hour to go over a speed bump. That I don't understand. Okay. Is it? And I have to imagine. I can't e- help you with that. Eric. Every single one of them has a coffee cup filled to the very, very brim. With my truck, I do not even pause for speed bumps. I fly <laughs> over the speed bumps in my freaking Prius. <laughs> they're, they're, there's you know, just one. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So I'm gonna got yeah. a speed bump. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna ease the front tires over. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna go forward a little bit. The back tires. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just go boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I don't it, – it, actually, so I know on the way here, on the way here this morning, there was a guy in a truck, you know, the ramp down to the parking lot? Ramp down to – yeah. Um, so there's this 
four-story ramp to an underground parking lot near the building that we're in right now. And they have speed bumps. And there was this guy who was in a, three, a Ford 350, which is a bigger, more heavy-duty truck than mine, uh, driving over the speed bumps uh, in the way you described. And I'm just like, oh, my God, move, move. What are you doing? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I understand that. All right. Hey, we talked a lot on this podcast about systems thinking. Did we? And, and we managed to have this, a point this podcast? Not in this one. In oh. previous oh, right. episodes. Yes. We, we don't have a point. <laughs> this is the stuff Brett and Allen did. But I was thinking about you know, when you have a challenge, when you want to, whether it's an organizational change or, a, or a, any sort of change you want to do at work or a project or anything, Yep. Uh, I find it important to at least take a little bit, and whether it's a mind map or some notes or sketch or some conversations, uh, I don't believe in analysis paralysis, like thinking through every possible plan B and plan C before going. But I do believe in thinking at least a little bit in advance about what are the implications of this? Let me kind of walk through this in my head. It doesn't have to be a long process. So recently, and so I I live my life, so I'm fighting a little battle right now where uh, someone I work with, Wanted to make a big change. Said, "Let's go ahead and do it. Let's make this change." Okay, everybody's on board. Let's go, we'll go. And I'm thinking there are some big implications here that you haven't thought of, and like huge. Like the part he wanted to do is all going ho about. By far the easiest part. It's like the tip of the iceberg he wants to take care of. And I'm looking at, and every time I think about what's underneath, I go, well, "We got to do this. It's probably not that bad." Oh, oh. You have this part. To, oh, shoot. And that connects to this. And now we have to do this. So uh, it's just fascinating to me how – and again, I don't want to get stuck in like thinking through every possible thing. But uh, And I'm being very abstract about this in case I, I know he's not one of the three. It's interesting though. This isn't like the first time in my career I've seen someone who should know better push for a change without thinking through the implications of it. I think the reality is is system thinkers are rare. I don't think they're that are they I don't really don't think they're that rare, especially I, at a tech company. I know not I they everyone are. is. I think they are. I think I think you have people who go uh, all right, we needed we need a abstract strategy and they gloss over the details. I, I think there's a lot of people who are very deeply detail focused who often just execute and execute, and they don't actually even know what goal they're trying to achieve. And I think the people who can bridge those two are extremely rare. That's my experience. Yeah, and I guess so, – and I see a lot of the same parallels. I talked a lot about with the Riot guys about teams moving to unified engineering and agile, and uh, you can't just decide that, okay, we're going to be agile, we're going to do this and this and this. You need to think about through why and what does it mean and what does it change and how do we function differently? And there's just a lot more pieces in there than deciding, okay, we're agile now. We're doing Scrum and uh, we're not writing any more documentation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it, 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 that started up, what, 15 years ago and, and it has led to you inventing Fragile, right? Um, I, I think that any – I think – Here's Alan's uh, – I need to make a list of these along with you. Know, you should automate 100% of the tests. should be automated. A little bit of a – just a teeny bit of a tautology there. But there is something else that I think every team needs 
uh, I have to define team, but needs that systems thinker to be successful. You need someone who can, someone whose job it is to think about how all the pieces fit together and what the implications are of any sort of change. It was one of the pieces of feedback that we got from Redfin is one of the questions that didn't get asked apparently was why is Brent suggesting that we hire an agile coach? And by the way, it's exactly for that reason. It's you need need to have someone. I mean, you need, right. And I would, I would, if you want to bootstrap, just hire one further hypothesize that if you look at any successful team, uh, at any company in the world, they have that person that can that is looking at the big picture, thinking how the pieces fit together, and that may be someone on the team, maybe an architect, maybe the leader. Uh, but I think success requires that someone is at least ongoing success requires that someone is looking at the big picture of things. It, it's the the desire to bounce from fire to fire is seductive. Right. It is. Hey, Alan, I don't have time to think through this whole thing. This is something that I need to do right now. And then they don't realize that that causes a chain of events that the new thing that they're going to be asking you to do six months from now is not only directly caused by that thing that they didn't think about, but actually reverses that thing. I've seen this happen over and over and over and over. Let me close with the story. Yeah. Uh, a parable, if you will. So Alan's parables. A guy's walking out to the river and sees uh, someone drowning. And he dives into the river to save them. And then there's two more people drowning in the river. So two more people run out and run out to save them. And it, and there's more and more people floating down the river. And people the people are running out to the river to save them, bring them to shore. And they see someone walking upstream. They say, "Where are you going? We need your help." I'm going upstream to find out who's throwing all these people in the river. Uh, I use a similar metaphor. I talk about if we're busy putting out, if we're constantly busy putting out forest fires, maybe someone should move ahead and find the three-year-old who's been given the lighter. I like my story better. (laughs) All right. Uh, I think we're out of time and we should call it a day. What do you think? Sounds good. I am Alan. And I am Brent. (laughs) Good thing we know our names. All right. Thank you for listening to episode 30 of AB Testing. We'll see you next time. Bye.